Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. There's desperation and anguish. More than 80,000 Afghans have since arrived in America. But this story is still unfolding. I'm Andrea Smartin. In my new podcast, Stranger Becomes Neighbor, we'll find out what happens to these new arrivals in our communities. Who would help our newest neighbors? Follow us at kslpodcast.com, Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen. Back to Live Mike. I'm Lee Lonsberry. This segment, we're continuing our conversation with Professor Rose McDermott. She's the David and Mariana Fisher University Professor of International Relations at Brown University. The reason we've reached out to Professor McDermott, she was referenced in an opinion piece recently published in the Deseret News by Valerie Hudson. Valerie Hudson is a, a former BYU professor, professor of mine when I was taking political science classes down there. She's since moved on to uh, Texas A&M University. But in that opinion piece, she poses the question, has the Utah legislature done its homework on polygamy? You know, Senator Deidre Henderson, she has been behind an effort to uh, reduce the penalty for those engaged in polygamy here in the state of Utah from a felony to an infraction. And our guest, uh, Professor McDermott here, has a a number of uh, opinions which would say that, well, in fact, you might want to rethink your approach. Uh, Professor McDermott, uh, let me welcome you back to the program. Uh, What I want to do for the next few moments, if you don't mind, I want to share with you some of the assertions made by Senator uh, Henderson and and get your response to those. Uh, She and I had the occasion to speak uh, a little while back, and I asked her some of the rationale she brought to the conversation as to why uh, she had engaged in this effort. The first uh, point she makes is that the, the way things stand now, there are some significant barriers to reporting crimes. Here's her rationale. I was primarily concerned about an abuse victim who may not report to law enforcement because of fear of arrest or losing her children to state custody if she's discovered to be a polygamist. But during my visits, I also heard from victims of burglary, extortion, fraud, blackmail, and other crimes who felt like they had no access to justice because coming forward would expose their polygamous life to lifestyle and threaten their families. Dr. McDermott, is there, is there credence to these fears or these assertions? Um, no. I mean, they, they rest on a series of assumptions that you would have equal consequences for um, male and female participants in these polygamous relationships. Um, and that doesn't necessarily have to be the case. Like, for example, you could have a law where it wasn't illegal for women who are the victims in these situations, but it would be illegal for men. Um, I know that um, that has been the case in other countries, like in France and in Britain, where it allows women then to um, turn in husbands who've brought um, other wives from uh, other countries into the uh, country they then are able to report it. The man is arrested, usually um, convicted and, and deported on uh, immigration laws. Um, and then the, the wife and the children receive support and aid in terms of food and job training and child care and things like that. And so um, there are other ways around it. But to the immediate point that she makes, the reason that's a concern is that if you decriminalize it, then women who want to come forward with um, things like domestic violence and other forms of abuse don't have a legal leg to stand on. They can't actually bring the case because the law is not on their side. Um, And if the law is designed to help and protect the most vulnerable, you're actually undermining the capacity of these women to um, seek reprimand for 
increased rates of domestic violence and other harms that they may suffer as a result of these relationships. Um, and it would certainly not prohibit the ability to charge other crimes like burglary or theft. I see. But it would reduce the ability to charge crimes related to domestic violence and abuse. Let me ask you this question specifically about the state of Utah. Should this bill pass, uh, would you anticipate uh, an influx in polygamy practicing here in the state? Have you seen as as one region of the world has, has loosened its uh, penalty or lightened its penalties for the practice of polygamy uh, or bigamy or polygyny? Uh, have you seen an influx of, uh, of those practicing the, the polyg- polygyny? You know, I actually haven't seen data on that one way or another, and so I feel like I can't really sure. respond to that question. I'm not really sure. No. Um, Usually the places where there are high rates of polygyny um, are contiguous, um, but not always. And so um, I feel like I don't have sufficient data to properly answer that. That's fair enough. Uh, So far, this measure on the part of Senator Henderson has faced six votes, uh, six occasions where uh, lawmakers here in the state of Utah have voted, uh, and they have all done so unanimously. Uh, Two committee votes in the Senate, uh, a full full vote in the Senate, two more committee votes in the House. Uh, Next up, it is before the the, the full House, and then on to the governor. Not one legislator has yet voted against the bill. And while that is a relatively common occurrence uh, on certain technical pieces of legislation here in the state, it is far less common for a bill of this magnitude to be universally supported. Uh, As this next test uh, comes on the floor of the House, let me ask you, Professor, what should those uh, with the opportunity to vote in the near future, what should they know and how would you advise them to vote? Well, I mean, um, like the essay that was um, penned by Val Hudson, I think um, one of the important things to do is to not railroad the legislation, but actually stop and think through the consequences of it, not just the financial consequences related to things like welfare fraud, but also other legal consequences related to things like child custody and tax law. And, you know, if you're in polygamous situations, um, you know, who qualifies for the tax deduction? Who qualifies for the married marriage? filing status. Um, how do you think about dependent care for children? How do you calculate welfare benefits? Um, how do you decide what happens if a parent dies without a will? Um, who has the legal basis to make schooling and medical decisions for children? Um, you know, there's a whole sequence of questions that relate to the consequences for children that aren't being considered. And I think one of the things that's important to um, calculate in this is the extent to which the average taxpayer in Utah is being asked to finance um, a set of lifestyle choices that they may or may not participate in. Um, And yet they will actually, if this legislation passes, be forced to financially pay for that. Um, And thinking through also the social consequences, not just for the young boys who get thrown out of these systems, but also for the children who suffer the consequences um, and the you know, rising rates of domestic violence and the 
uh, decreases in longevity, the higher rates of maternal mortality, the higher rates of child mortality, um, that there's real consequences for the lives and health of everyday Utahns. And I think that that's an important thing that needs to have serious consideration and not simply, you know, railroaded through the legislature. Sure. Uh, let me share with you this view held by Senator Henderson. She asserts that the purpose of this bill is not to make it easier to get into polygamy, uh, but to make it easier to get out. Here are her words, and I'd like to hear how you respond. The purpose of Senate Bill 102 is not to make it easier for people to get into polygamy. The purpose is to tear down the barriers to social integration in order to make it easier for people to get out. The solution to the problems we are seeing is increased social integration, which can only come through decriminalizing otherwise law-abiding polygamists. Is there sound reason there, or would would lessening the penalties uh, hinder this social integration? Um, so that's a completely specious argument, um, empirically and on the merits, um, in two ways. I mean, the easiest way to think about it is what happened with prostitution legislation. When you decriminalize prostitution, it actually made it much harder um, for women to uh, get out of the life, to come forward. Um, they suffered much greater a series of penalties. And that's why, in fact, in 2000, the United States changed the sex trafficking law to not persecute the victims, but just um, persecute the perpetrators. And I think this is a completely analogous situation. The second way in which this is a specious argument is that you know, when you think about trauma and trauma that results from lifelong abuse, meaning, you know, being born into communities where um, your life has course of control by senior men, um, the challenge is that what prohibits you from coming forward is not the state. It's the internal psychological architecture that results from trauma. And so changing the external laws is not going to affect the consequence of trauma on the communities. And what makes it difficult to come forward is the psychological state of trauma, not the state legislation regarding um, legal consequences. Understood. Uh, we have just uh, about 30 seconds, uh, and, and this may be unfair for me to ask this question at this time, but there is this idea of cruel arithmetic. There are uh, young men and boys who uh, who find themselves on the on the unfortunate end of these practices. Can you talk uh, very briefly about uh, about them and how they might uh, be impacted by this? Well, um, I think that what ends up happening is that half of the boys, and usually they're, you know, the more vulnerable half, they're the ones who have less money and less resources, um, get tossed out of the communities in order to have, you know, one man have more than one woman. And those boys are tossed out without social support, without education. And then they're in a situation where um, usually to get by, they may have to, you know, engage in crime. They become um, part of the criminal justice system. If they're lucky, maybe they become part of the welfare system. But again, that constitutes a financial tax on people who did not make a choice to participate in that lifestyle and yet are having to fund the consequences of it. Um, and those boys statistically suffer you know, very negative consequences. They don't get education. They don't tend to um, have stable relationships in their own lives to, you know, get married and have children, to have stable jobs, um, precisely because they lack social support and the education that's necessary to, you know, achieve a meaningful life. Professor McDermott, I'm grateful to you for your time. I'm grateful to you for the research you've done on this and uh, making yourself available to me 
in the audience here in Salt Lake City in Utah. I'm grateful to you. Thank you for having me. Thank you. Uh, we're going to take a quick break here, and next up, we're going to move back to that issue of distracted driving. You and I had a moment to talk about it yesterday. Well, it passed. We're going to talk about what that means, and we're going to get a larger look at what these types of laws have done around the country to save lives. That's next up here on Live Mike. I'm Lee Lonsberry, and this is KSL News Radio.